And so you can risk uh, letting them rebuff you a time or two, perhaps. So we're, we're wanting to pray and that we can open up our hearts to allow the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to not only have us take ownership for our own offenses, but that we would have the courage to go seek out a brother, a sister, a child, and to confront in a gentle way. Notice um, uh, there's a passage in Matthew 18, 15. If you've got your worksheet, you might have your pencil ready. Uh, it says, Brothers, if, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Uh, actually, I'm ahead of myself. Matthew 18, 15 is the first one. If your brother sins against you, this is in Matthew 18, go and show him his fault. Now, there are gentler ways to say that. You don't just grab him by the chest hair and say, look what you did. You know, I mean, that, that's a prescription for failure. So you want to go humbly. You want to go prayerfully. You're in uh, my arena. Am I in your arena? I'll yes, move on then, okay? <laughs> I, I do want you to look at, at this uh, passage, though, that is in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, spiritual should restore him how? Gently. Gently. Remember that word. It's very, very important. To help him take ownership for his part in the conflict. To let him know that you've, you want to give value and, and give recognition of worth even as you talk with them. Uh, in Gospel Workers it says, deal with your brother as you wish God to deal with you. So how can we be harsh or intolerant or impatient or judgmental? Um, we need to be willing to come in a, with an open heart, with prayer in our hearts. Uh, there's another passage from Volume 7 of the Testimonies, page 260, that says human beings are God's Christ's property, purchased by him at an infinite price. Think of the person that's bugging you as one, if, if, if even the only one, for which Christ died. You, we've got to love as, he said, love as I have loved you. How can we do that? He loved us so much he died for us. But here, human beings are Christ's property, purchased at an infinite price, bound to him by the love that he and his Father have manifested to them. How carefully, then, we should be in our dealings with one another. Uh, what an important uh, truth that is from God's word. Now, we're going to show, um, I think we're ready for, we're going to show two video clips. They're both entitled Blame Game 1 and Blame Game, Blame Game 2. And uh, hold on here, I gotta get it set up where it'll work. We're doing two things with the PowerPoint and then showing video clips. And sometimes uh, visualizing uh, though being acted by some people, uh, it rec helps us recognize real things that, that happen in our lives or maybe Is it numbers lives. with the new shipping costs okay, plugged in? I'm gonna go back um, to the We no, ran a preview earlier. I don't. You said you were gonna send me that new worksheet, remember? I was gonna Okay, here we go. Hey, Bill. How was your weekend? Hey, boss. I was all right. Just hung out with the family. It's good. Hey, uh, do you have those new budget numbers with the new shipping costs plugged in? Um, no. I don't. You said you were going to send me that new worksheet, remember? I was going to plug them in on that. But I need those numbers today. I have that meeting with finance this afternoon. You knew that, right? Well, yeah, but I didn't have the worksheet, so I couldn't do it. I was waiting on you. You can plug the numbers in on that worksheet anytime. Well, yeah, I know, but you didn't tell me to do that. Remember? You said you were going to send me that worksheet, so I'd only have to enter them once. We talked about that. That was the whole point of the worksheet, only having to do it once. That's fine for you, but now I'm going to look stupid because we're the only group that doesn't have its numbers done because you didn't do that. Oh, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. This isn't my fault. You didn't send me that worksheet and you didn't tell me to work on the numbers without it. Look, I need those numbers today. I'm going to go talk to Mike and get an extension, and when I get back, we're going to talk about this. Bill, I need to know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. It's funny. I was thinking the exact same thing.
Bill. How was your weekend? Hey, boss. Uh, it was all right. Just hung out with the family. It's great. Hey, uh, do you have those new budget numbers with the new shipping costs plugged in? Um, no, I don't. You said you were going to send me the new worksheet, remember? I was going to plug them in on that. But I have that meeting with finance today. I need those numbers. I'm sorry. I was, I was waiting on that worksheet. You're right. I told you I would give you the worksheet, and I completely forgot. That's my fault. Is there any chance you worked on them at all? A little bit. I mean, I got it all in my head. Oh, I'm going to look so stupid in that meeting today. But wait, Carol. This isn't all your fault. I should have started them at least. What can I do to help out? Can we clear our schedules and get this done today? Um, yeah, I think so. Let I'm me sure. move some meetings around. We should be able to get those numbers done by the end of the day. Great. Thanks, Bill. Hey, no problem. Oh, you missed the 9 on the 10. He was playing solitaire. I, he I, was playing solitaire when she walked in because the nine on the table. Oh, the solitaire. He was playing solitaire, which probably shouldn't have been going on in the office anyway. But um, And she did it jokingly rather than nailing it. What was the difference between the two versions? They got it done? Let's <laughs> She accepted blame, didn't she? She took ownership for the. She didn't do her part. But he did too. Yeah. That's right. You know, and the difference between those two things was not huge, but the outcome was tremendous, wasn't it? They found they found us. Uh, one of the things they could do is blame each other, but another thing was to check off the box that said, we're going to work together and make this happen. And, and that, of course, is what, uh, the goal that we have. Now, when and how should we go and confront someone? And this is the hard, where the rubber meets the road part of conflict resolution. Uh, and I think it should be combined with much prayer, but recognize that though you might be rebuffed, the opposite could be true. You might, through the Holy Spirit's work, and your humble, prayerful heart, you may have a tremendous results. And you might sleep better. You might help the other person sleep better. And so uh, remember the reasons why you should go. And, and uh, you, you'll find these, I think, in the worksheet. You may, one of the advantages or the benefits of going, the reasons for going, is you may be able to clarify a misunderstanding. The conflict may simply because one or both of you have misinformation. And so that's one very positive reason. A second reason is you may learn that you were wrong. Who would have thought that I could have been wrong? You know? <laughs> and and uh, furthermore, uh, remember we talked about do you respect people who admit when they're wrong or do you respect people who um, are going to just always assume, assume or assert and demand that they're always right? Um, we respect people who feel comfortable in their skin and their worth and value before God where they can admit that they were wrong. And all I remember hearing of a high school uh, where the principal made a decision. And it was having to do with uh, what the students could do during the lunch hour or something. And as it turned out with all the special events and things, it turned out to be a bad, it didn't prove to be a good decision for the campus of that high school. And over the PA system, the principal, after a few days and learning that it wasn't going to work, he went on the PA and he asked for the, it was during break, and he asked for all the students to listen up. And he said, you know, I want to apologize for making that rule because that is not proven to be a good suggestion. And now we're going to do, and he had a, he went to plan B. And of course the question is, did the students respect and like their principal more for being willing to accept that his choice had not been great? Um, and, and the truth is that they do. Uh, okay, we do have them here. Uh, the third reason that we would give for confronting, you may be able to deliver, help deliver, help through relationship and friendship, the other person uh, to be delivered from the acid of unforgiveness and bitterness. Um, because remember, a conflict is hurting both people. And so those are three very strong reasons why Besides the fact that Jesus said, 
Who said it? Jesus said it. Go to your brother and confront. Um, then we could say that there's some questions that we could ask in determining whether we should confront someone. And uh, those are, these are the questions that we're placing before you. Is the conflict dishonoring? And, you know, Darla's talked about overlooking, and there are things that can be overlooked. But ask these questions if you're wondering if you should confront. Don't, go, don't confront on the impulse of a moment. Don't do it just uh, as, a, well, I'm going to really try this stuff out and see if it works. Make sure you're doing it the way and, and, and when God wants you to do it. Is the conflict dishonoring God? Uh, secondly, has the conflict damaged your relationship? If it creates uh, tension and stress and looking away, not making eye contact, n looking negatively on what each person says, looking for reasons to build your case against them or their case against you, uh, if it's done that, then you need to confront. You need to get together and say, may I have a little of your time? I want to make peace. I, I feel there's something between us, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, make uh, gentle approaches. And uh, could, could we talk together? Uh, another reason or question to ask, is the conflict hurting other people? Is there someone else that is a victim or uh, f getting friendly fire or whatever uh, that is being damaged by this conflict that's happening. And fourthly, thinking about that other person themselves, is the conflict hurting the offender and perhaps damaging their capacity to minister or to serve Christ in the church? Remember we talked about yesterday that if, if there's an ongoing conflict, knowing that we should leave our gift at the altar and go solve the conflict and then come back, it damages your worship capabilities when you do not deal with a conflict. Uh, we're going to find that forgiveness comes early in the process in your heart and mind. We'll come to that later on. There's a, um, a statement in James chapter 5 that you're familiar with. My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so um, embrace the role as a peacemaker. Embrace the role as one that is seeking to bring people together, not uh, using misinformation to plant seeds of doubt and suspicion. Um, that does happen. I wish it never happened in the churches uh, or in families even, but, but it does. Well, Darlis, we were going to show a couple more clips, aren't we? Yes. We got another couple that are back-to-back. And um, you will find this interesting, I hope. I'm trying to decide what to do for vacation this year. Oh yeah? Is it that dark Yeah. What do you uh what do you think we should do? Good question. Um, you know, I was thinking this summer it would be a good idea if we went to visit my parents. And we haven't seen them in a while. No, I, the problem is that's not a break for me. Yeah, your parents are hard work, especially your mom. I want to relax. I want to go to the beach. I mean, seriously, if we don't go see them, they can't come see us. They can't travel. It'll be another year before the kids see them. I get two weeks off for vacation. That's it. I'm aware. I want to use it to relax. That's it. I, I, I want to take it easy. Work's been hard this year. I want to go to the beach. What's the problem? Yeah, but we went to the beach last year because yeah. of the same reason. Yeah, Let's and go we got to relax. Again. We got to take it easy. That's what I'm talking about not what I meant. And you know that. Yes, the beach was fun. We all had a great time, but my father is not going to be around forever. And I don't want to feel like I missed this opportunity to spend time with him. I don't know why we always have to go through this. I wish you could just think about what I need or what the kids need. And it wasn't just always about you. Really? Really. So I'm selfish. I'm working 60 hours a week. Okay. 
to pay for all these vacations, all this stuff that we do, so you can make all the decisions? Really? Is that how it's going to work? I'm just some big ATM. I'm going to throw money all over the place so you can make all the decisions. Yeah, go ahead and call me selfish. That makes a lot of sense. I'm selfish. I cannot take this anymore. Like, taking care of the house and the kids, like, that's not a real job. You know, and I work part-time. I pull my share. If it's that important to you to have a break, you should take one. Go to the beach. Call your golf buddies. Do whatever you want. And I'll take the kids. I'll, no, we'll see my no I want to take a family vacation. Family vacation. I want to see my kids. I want to spend time with my kids. Well, care about this family as much as you care about your parents. That's what you need to be doing. We're right here. Us. That is so unfair. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. You know what? You're right. You do whatever you want. I'm going to bed. You do that. I'm going to watch a movie. Oh, please do not do that. Good night. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Not a happy ending, right? Why does it always have to be this hard? Whatever. Hey there. Hey. So I'm trying to decide what to do for vacation this year. Oh yeah? What do you think we should do? Good question. I was actually thinking that this year we could go see my folks. We haven't seen them in a while. Well, what do you think? I think we should go to the beach again this year. I want to relax. We had a good time last year. It's, it's fun. If we go see your folks, your mom, your mom. Work's been hard this year. This has been just a tough year, and we got our parents. I won't be able to relax. I want to go to the beach. I know. Okay. I know it's been a rough year, especially because of work. And I know you need to relax. And if my mom's around, you can't always do that. But you know how sick my dad is. I mean, I really thought this would be the perfect opportunity for our whole family to go and spend some quality time with him while we can. I know how important it is to see your dad. And I know we don't have much more time with him. All right, well, I wonder if we should do that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Well, I don't want you to not get the break that you need. I mean, the beach was great for our whole family last year. I just wish you got longer than two weeks. What if um, you you take the kids and you go see your folks? You take the them for a week. No, no, hold on. And then the the last couple of days, I come up, and then after that, we can take the kids to the beach for a week. I mean, it's kind of choppy, but uh, I think it works. Yeah, I think. I think it sounds great. Okay. Um, you get to spend quality time with your dad. We get to take the kids to the beach and relax. And I only have to see your mom for a couple of days. <laughs> as long as you're good for being away a few weeks, then it's good for everybody. Yes, I think this sounds like the perfect solution. This is really important to me. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head up to bed. You coming? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I like how it ended. They got to go to bed together anyway. Uh, you, you notice in the second clip that they identified with each other's needs more the first time. Boy, they, they were like two cats backing up the tree with their hair standing on end and growling at each other in the first one. 
Um, any comments from any of you about the difference between the two clips? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have been in a similar argument with someone at some stage in your life? I think probably all of us have, and you look back and you think, why did I get into that? Why couldn't we have resolved it more peaceably? And I understand that. So we want to talk a little bit about the good communication skills that are necessary if you're going to confront someone. Um, Communication skills are an art that we all need to be working on learning every single day and practicing because they don't come naturally always. Um, we need to be learning how to communicate with sincerity. People need to know we really care, we really mean what we're saying, that we're not just going through a list of things or that we're not just saying this because we know this is what we ought to be saying. Communication skills need to be shared with sincerity always. We need to communicate respect. If you come to someone and you're just saying the words and they can read the fact that you really don't respect them, you're not going to get anywhere because respect is the bottom line. This is the key. They have to know they value you and that you um, are as important to them as their own views are important to them. And so we need to come to them with respect and do not judge we're not there to judge particularly when it comes to confrontation we can't come with a judgmental attitude uh, Paul says you then why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother for we all stand before God's judgment seat that's Romans 14 10 you know Christians Mrs. White says that Christians ought to be the most courteous people we ought to be known for our courtesy. I wish I could say that every Seventh-day Adventist that I run into is, con is always courteous. And I think it's something we all need to be working on. Somehow it kind of got lost in the last few generations. We don't teach courtesy and respect like it was once taught. And it's something we need to be sharing with one another in our homes, with our children, with other people in our church, the need for just old-fashioned courtesy because courtesy communicates respect. And it opens the people you're talking to to positive conflict resolution. So we need to communicate value with respect. You realize that rudeness really threatens people, and it immediately puts them on the defensive if you approach them rudely. To build respect and pave the way to reconciliation, communicate with sincere openness to the possibility that you could be the one that's wrong. And that's hard to do sometimes, especially if you're feeling a lot of tension about whatever the situation is that you're going to confront. Because you need to come with the idea that I may be blindsided here. I may have a, a flat side that I'm not seeing everything. I could be the one that's wrong. Effective communication requires good listening skills. And this is really hard for all of us. We enjoy saying the right things and saying them in the right way, but we don't find it as easy to be really good listeners. James, the brother of Jesus, said, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I want to review with you. I know you've heard them before, but let's go over just briefly a few of the skills that listening involves. Number one, waiting, being patient, allowing people time to say things the way they want to say them. Some of us are very glib. We're very able to come up with that remark, with just that thought we want to get across. We, we're able to come across and say what we want to say in the most effective way, you know, to get to the heart of the matter. There are a lot of people that don't find that easy. There are people that find it very hard, and they avoid conflict at all costs because they know that they cannot talk as fast as you or that they cannot make you hear them that you won't listen to them. They're afraid you won't hear what they have to say. And so we need to be patient. We need to allow them to say what they want to say. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. 
So even the scripture tells us we need to be patient and let people who don't find it as easy to share their feelings with us say what they need to say. We need to concentrate on what they're saying. Do you know why we have a hard time remembering other people's names? Because when we're introduced to them, we are so often thinking of what the first thing is that we're going to say to them. We don't really hear what their names are. And that's the same way it is with this business of confrontation and listening. We need to not just be thinking, now what am I going to say next that's going to really be a zinger here that I'll really get my point across. We need to be really concentrating on what the other person is saying. It's good to clarify when they've, there's a break in what they're saying. Come back with, are you saying? And summarize what you're hearing from them so they know that you're hearing them and that you're getting the point that they're trying to make. Maybe even say, you know, could you give me an example of that? And maybe that'll put them on the spot. So don't do that unless you think that they're, they're going to be able to give you an example pretty easily. Don't put their feet to the fire if they can't give you an example. Um, don't pepper them with questions. When they're trying to explain to you what they're feeling or what the, their part of the conflict, how they view it, don't be interrupting them to ask them questions and distracting them from their train of thought. It's all right to ask questions when there's a break, that questions that are clarifying, but don't just pepper them and interrupt them with your questions. Don't interrupt them. Allow them to say what they want to say. When there is a break, you might reflect on what has been said so far. That's different than clarifying. Reflecting is, from your perspective then, I was wrong when I did this or I did that, or you really care about this issue, don't you? don't you? And just clarifying any statements that can be made that clarify to them that you are getting what they're trying to say. It gives them the opportunity to say, no, that's not what I'm saying, and to clarify it better for you. It's important that you understand what they're saying. And then agreeing. We need to find points in our discussions, in our listening, where we can agree with them. I heard you say this, and I agree you're right. Uh, Psalms 141.5 says, Let the righteous rebuke me. It shall be an excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. And Proverbs 28.13, He who covers his sins will not prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And so you can say, you're right. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? To say, you're right. I should not have whatever it is. Or a lot of what you say is true. Or even, I can understand why you feel that way. Agree with them on those points that you can agree with them wholeheartedly so that they are affirmed and feel like they can continue to share and you can come to full agreement. You know, there's a man named David Augsburger who wrote a book called Caring Enough to Hear, and he says that being heard is so close to being loved that the average person, to the average person, they are indistinguishable. Isn't that an interesting statement? He has another statement that I think is really powerful. He says, trust breathed in an atmosphere of love nourishes life like oxygen, and distrust tightens the chest with anxiety, burns the throat like smog, tears at the eyes with its acidity, and poisons the whole person. And then we need to, in this communication, in this confrontation, be sure that what we're speaking, we're speaking in love. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'd like to give just a few little guidelines on communication, conciliation communication, some suggestions. Keep your messages short, simple, and to the point. Don't get caught up in telling all the side issues or the history of your grandmother or um, where you lived 12 years ago. Keep it short, keep it simple, and keep it to the point of what the, your area of conflict has been. Always speak honestly and objectively. Anytime you do not speak honestly, particularly in points of confrontation, you run a high risk of being found out. 
because it comes out in your body language or in other things you say whether you really mean what you're saying. So always speak honestly and objectively. Avoid humor and witticisms. You may be a real comic, but the person whose feelings have been hurt or who's angry with you is not going to find it funny when you start making jokes or making silly statements about what's going on. They want to know you take this as seriously as they do. That's not the place for humor. Be careful how you use the scripture. Don't be preachy. Don't use it as a hammer on the people. It's one thing to say, you know, I was in my morning devotions this morning. I was reading in Psalms, and boy, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me, and I knew I needed to come and make peace with you. That's one thing. But when you start pulling out scripture to use it as your points against them, then it becomes preachy, and they don't accept it that way. That's not the way God intended his word to be used. And then use I messages instead of you messages. I know that this was not right. I know I felt this way. I know I said this or that. I was in the wrong. Don't say, you did this, you did that. Obviously, that's going to put them on the defensive. Well, you could... You could say, when you did this, it made me, or I felt this, right or right, wrong. Right, yeah. Be careful not to recruit God. Be, he loves you both. Someone says, so often prayer is used to say, I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying, and surely it must be because the Lord isn't making it clear to you. So let's stop and call upon him so you can understand how right I am. And nothing is more offensive than when you have been working through a confrontation and you stop to have prayer and the person who's praying makes all their points all over again <laughs> in the prayer. So please remember not to recruit God. A few other just brief little things that will be helpful in effective confrontation. As we mentioned at the beginning, pray earnestly before you get together. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Come humbly. Be sure and bathe this confrontation in prayer. Amen. Choose the right time and place. Ladies, how many times when you've had a beef with your husband and he walks in after a hard day's work and it's been a really stressful day at work and he's hungry, he hasn't had enough to eat, and you meet him at the door with, by the way, this went on, and do you expect to have a good response to that? Of course not. You pick your time and place. And Ideally, it's not going to be a time when some, the person you're talking to is really tired or under a great deal of stress or maybe even tremendously involved in another project of some kind that takes their concentration. Or if they're hungry, that's not a good time to approach someone. So try and pick your time. It may mean you need to make an appointment in order to do that, but be willing to do that. Another area that comes up all the time to me with people dealing with confrontation is they'll say, well, can't I just send them an email? Can't I just write them a letter? Even, well, I think it'd be easier if I talked to them on the phone. I'm here to tell you that the very best way to confront is face-to-face -face with the person. There is so much communication that is shared as you see their face and they see your face, as they see your body language and you see their body language. You can tell whether what you're saying is being received well. And if they don't understand what you've just said, you can clarify it. Where if you write it down, or even if you're telling them on the phone and they don't see that, it's so much more easily misunderstood. So it's so much better if you can talk face-to-face, person-to-person. Plan your words ahead of time. Know what you're going to say. It doesn't mean you have a rote script. It just means... I want to think this through so that I say this the very best way possible. Use a gracious tone of voice. Make sure your body language is open and friendly, like this, like this. It communicates I'm not open to being in agreement with you again. It automatically puts people off. So be sure and be aware of your tone of voice and your body language and be brave enough to ask them for feedback. Keep in mind, uh, these are wonderful uh, principles of communication. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a good reason. Uh, perhaps we should be more quick to listen, as we learned in the text. Uh, we're going to move in the direction of when and how you should involve other people. But before we leave, 
It's important to remember, we've already said it, but I'm going to tell you it again. You may need to meet with that person more than once, more than twice. May, what, did, what was it, 70 times 7, Peter was told by the Lord. Uh, but that's, that's a little different issue. But nevertheless, you need to be patient to find resolution. Uh, and you need to approach it prayerfully and humbly, find a good time, and, and just avoid distractions. The passage we need to look at now is in Matthew 18, verse 16. It says, but if he will not listen. You know, we've talked about listening skills here, but he may not have taken listening 101, and, and, or he may have, have a perception of you being a bad person, and he'd die rather than agree with you on maybe some view you have. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. But you should not involve others until you have seriously and repeatedly tried to resolve this dispute by going directly to the other person in the spirit of Christ. I know we've said that every which way, but that's the first step in Matthew 18. Go to your brother. Uh, and do it one-on-one. -on -one. There's a, a statement in volume 7 of the Testimonies, page 261, that says, whatever the character of the offense, this is a beautiful statement, this does not change the plan that God has made for the settlement of misunderstandings and personal injuries. Speaking alone in the spirit of Christ to the one who is at fault will often remove the difficulty. doesn't say always, as it says, it will often remove the difficulty. And this is seven, volume 7 of the Testimonies 261. But if, you are, uh, uneffort, uh, if your efforts are rebuffed in your attempts to reconcile and you're not successful, you know, keep in mind that Christ and the good angels and the Father have not yet reconciled with a third of the angels of heaven. So even God won't force the will and we'll come to that in the end you're not always going to be successful uh, but uh, if your attempts to reconcile are unsuccessful you can then negotiate uh, keep in mind it's you and one other person so far negotiate for getting others involved to help find a solution uh, now you got to be very smart you don't ask your very best friend who already agrees with all your unhappiness with the other person and go to them and say, would, you be, would it be okay if, you, I, if I had this person come with me? You know, he's going to see it's loaded against him. So you got to think really clearly about someone that you're pretty sure you both uh, respect and that you trust, and hopefully he trusts him too. And they should be people that are spiritual, they should be individuals who are spiritually minded, fair-minded, patient, and impartial. Persons that both parties respect and trust. And then there needs to be an agreement upon inviting that person to come. That person may not be a mediator as yet. A mediator is uh, the next step up from that, uh, I think, or can be. Um, it should be people that you both trust and you have an admiration for and you think they both feel that they have good judgment and generally are very interested in God's will to be done, who are scripturally wanting to follow the principles of God's word. And this is the instruction that Jesus gave us and so we want to put this in the, in the steps of resolving conflict. Um, if one of the questions you could ask is, would you be willing to meet with me and mention a person? I think that person, you know them and they're your friend. Would you be willing to meet with me with them? Because we, we may need some help solving this. And I very much want to be at peace with you. And I, I, don't be afraid to say it. Don't get too flowery and I love you. You're my best friend. I mean, don't state things that aren't so. But I very much want to be at peace with you and... And we come, we want to have nothing between me and the Lord. And um, uh, to me, I, I, I really invite your help that we do this. Um, now, what do uh, conciliators do, or a mediator, uh, in both want to contribute some of the same things to the discussion? Again, you want to pick a good time and a good place 
and, and uh, without distractions and not a time limit like somebody's got an appointment in 10 minutes, but if we can get it done in 10 minutes, we'll meet. That's not going to work either. But uh, a conciliator or a mediator, and, and I've done some of both of these things, but first of all, the conciliator is going to encourage self-control in the meeting. That people, um, if they get overly emotional, begin to weep. If they get overly emotional and begin to shout, it's time for the mediator to call a timeout. Say, okay, let's calm down. We're, this is not going to help finding peace. Uh, let's take a break. And, um, and you might have a little timeout and aside with one of the two parties if you're a mediator. And, and uh, now, brother... You know, God's, God's word, you're going to hold them accountable to God's word. This, this meeting is held because we want to follow Matthew 18 and the instruction that the Lord has given. And then come back together again. In order, and so you're trying to keep self-control in the meeting. Again, as Darlis mentioned, you want to always communicate courtesy, use please and thank you. All, all the things that she said, I want to underscore those. hope you made some notations of those. Um, and then uh, the mediator may ask clarifying questions also. Otherwise, he should not uh, interrupt because in a mediation, you ask the people to, to meet that are involved in the conflict. You give the ground rules. Uh, you let them know that each is going to get to say their piece without interruption. The only one that may interrupt, interrupt uh, a mediation is if the mediator wants to ask a clarifying question for the full understanding of everybody's that is there. Um, then uh, if both parties need to, uh, you know, you need to be prepared in your mind because a mediator needs to prepare his words. Kind of, Darlis mentioned that earlier about the two people involved. But how are you going to explain this so that it's clear from what God's word says? So you hold them accountable and yourself accountable. You know, it does no good if the mediator suddenly interjects themselves in such a way that they become a part of the conflict. Then they've negated the purpose for why they are the, they're added as a third or a fourth party to uh, a confrontation. That you don't, In a confrontation, you don't want to be confrontational. Does that make sense? Um, you want to be gentle. That was the key word we began with our session today. Uh, you want to help people expand their resources. Uh, you want to encourage them to uh, look at their options so that there can be a win-win. You notice in the, uh, I got it, my list is different here than we put on the screen, so I'll, I'll get it all covered before I'm done. You notice in the two clips about the husband and wife trying to find their vacation time, uh, that it ended up being a win-win for them. Uh, even the mother-in-law got a visit, and the father, whose health may have been threatened, had a visit from all of them. And uh, so it, your goal is to look at a variety of options. You might even put an option out there that's absolutely crazy. With uh, I'm, I'm talking about from the mediator's point of view, just to, uh, and, and know that it's just one among many and then really deal with some real possibilities. Of, and there may be some resources with which you will uh, ask them to explore. Um, it's, it's very important that when it becomes clear that either one recognized that they misspoke or their actions were inflammatory to the situation. You need to encourage them. And say it even at the very beginning when you're laying down the ground rules. Now, if you find something that you realize you've been at fault, I want to encourage you scripturally to take ownership. The Bible says get the plank and the beam out of your own eye. So if there's something where you can claim the blame, uh, do it. And what it does, it encourages, puts oil on the water, if you please, for the other person to be willing to accept responsibility for where they were wrong. Remember I talked to you yesterday about if, I, if Darlis and I have had a quarrel, we, we try not to do this. After 51 years, it doesn't happen very often. But if I, if I say to Darlis, and it's usually the case, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. Quite often she will respond, well, I was whatever. And, uh, and then I argue with her and tell her, no, it's not your fault, it's mine. <laughs> and she says, no, it's not. And so um, you both begin to smile and resolution comes, I believe, when that happens. And you show uh, evident love, 
show evident love for both parties. That's a mediator or the conciliator, the third person, fourth person. Uh, you show love and appreciation of worth and value in all the parties. But observe the conduct and be prepared to report accurately to the church because there's another step coming. If you take two or three with you, there's another step. We're going to look at that in just a moment. In fact, we're at that moment. Let's go there now. This is in Matthew 18, verse 17. It's part of inclusive in a 17 to 20 passage. It says, and if he refuses to hear them, that is with the two or three that you have brought along, people that supposedly he respected and trusted, uh, then tell it to the church. Now, this is an awkward stage. Um, the truth is that m conflict should be settled at the lowest possible level. You and that person. So linger on that first step for quite a long time before you go to another step. Most conflict are not... Uh, uh, there's not like a deadline that you got to do it by tomorrow. Carlos? The reality is we were in pastoral ministry for 48 years. And do I remember any case where it ever had to go to the church? I, I know a lot of mediation has taken place through the years as people in conflict. But I really only remember one or two instances where it came to the church board even. And I don't remember instances where it actually came to the church body. It can be avoided. It can be kept at the lowest level possible. Yeah, th this, this passage is not saying you are going to stand up in prayer meeting and say, you know, I've talked to this brother, and I've taken people with me, and he hasn't listened to either one. Now I'm going to tell you all what he did. You know, that's not what it's talking about. That would not be, uh, you know, Jesus never needlessly censored public, neither, say this again, he did not needlessly censor or expose to embarrassment uh, now, he did speak pretty plainly to the Pharisees. Um, and he, you know, he is God. We need to let him be God when he addresses us. But the lowest level is the best place to resolve. But we have come to this passage, tell it to the church, and then these kind of hard words, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. You know, I, I emphasize that needlessly. But what does that mean? You know, the... Um, this, this is hard. Um, and I've put a note under that. This is not meant to be a time for unkindness or shunning. You've heard the word shunning? Uh, this is not a time for shunning. Uh, but for loving and seeking for, you know, the, the goal of church discipline is to restore the person to a renewed relationship with Christ and in fellowship with the church. And so you're seeking for that restored relationship. That's the goal of mediation and conflict resolution. Uh, how did, you know, I, I put in the question, how did Jesus treat Matthew, Levi Matthew? He became a disciple, didn't he? One of the twelve. Uh, Zacchaeus, Jesus invited himself over to dinner, and salvation came to his house. He did not shun him. He was not unkind. He did sort of embarrass him up in the tree with his silk robes, up, you know, watching Jesus walk by. But it was amazing, amazing how Jesus related to the thief on the cross how he related to Mary Magdalene. Uh, I used to think that when he cast seven demons out of Mary that it, they were all there at one time. But uh, I think the desire of ages makes it very clear that there were seven different incidences where it was a repeat offense, a repeat problem. And she kept coming to him and he kept giving her power and victory and deliverance. And she was the first one at the tomb, wasn't she? What a wonderful privilege for this sinner saved by grace as you can be and I can be. Uh, and so um, not a time for shunning or unkindness. Uh, uh, these are especially difficult times, and in these times we are to love one another. Uh, and I've mentioned that the purpose of uh, discipline is to restore, uh, to establish the relationship. You know, I've found that if people do not agree with the church, if they do not agree with uh, mediation or with the individual approach, uh, as a pastor, I don't immediately call a business meeting and say, okay, we're going to drop these people. Or even if somebody sends a letter and says, I want to have my name pulled from the books, uh, I didn't feel it was my responsibility to immediately act on that. Their life could go on without jumping to the judgment seat. 
In fact, what I believe very much is a path. I'm not, I'm not saying we should never discipline. Uh, and in fact, Ellen White makes some very clear statements. We'll read one in a moment. But I believe in keeping, continue to visit, continue to call, continue to reach out. And if, if they're at odds with the church, eventually probably they're going to ask you, you know, I just don't want to be, you know, and it's sad when that happens. But you visit with love and with kindness. Think of things you can do for them that are, will be uh, meaningful to them. Um, how do we treat tax collectors and Gentiles, if you could, you know, when we call those terms, unbelievers, how, do we, how are we supposed to treat them? We're supposed to treat them as a potential candidate for the kingdom, aren't we? So we, it doesn't mean we frown at them, we avoid them, we love them, we show friendship, we reach out to them. Uh, we need to remember, and I, I visit, love, pray, visit, love, pray, visit, love, pray, continue to work with the individuals. It's very, very important. I want you to notice... Um, this beautiful statement now from volume seven again of the testimonies 260 how did that happen no I, i'm ahead of myself here yes i gotta back up and take one uh, 264 the lord desires his followers to exercise great care in dealing with one another they are to lift up to restore and to heal this supports our approach to gentiles and tax collectors as as it mentioned in matthew 18 there to love them and to continue to befriend them and to reach out to them. It doesn't mean you're condoning what they've said or what they've done. You're not approving their wrong words or actions or motives, but you're reaching out to them to lift up, to restore, and to heal. Uh, and that there, uh, But there should be no neglect of discipline in the church. Now the other statement that I want us to look at, uh, same volume, page, uh, the page earlier, 263. It says, however ag aggravated may have been his offense, if he yields to the striving of the Holy Spirit and by confessing and forsaking his sin and gives evidence of repentance, he is to be forgiven and welcomed to the fold again. You know, I love the story, the three stories in Luke chapter 15. Uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost boys, plural, not just one. There should have been a third son that did it right in the prodigal son. But the, the shepherd goes out and he finds the one lost sheep and brings him back into the fold and calls in all the neighbors and, and fellow sheep herders and says, come celebrate with me because I found my one lost sheep. And I was that one lost sheep, like the song says. And so we need to accept that. Uh, there is a rather strong statement here, and I will... Uh, simply read it to you. It's volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 147. To protect the character of God and the reputation of the church, here it says, sin and sinners in the church must be promptly dealt with. Now, dealt with doesn't mean, I don't think, direct disfellowshipping, but truth and purity require that we make more thorough work of cleansing the camp. And so there will come a time we... Uh, a pastor should not become known that he never feels there's ever a need for discipline. But I'll tell you, we have a great, much greater, stronger need for love than we do for disciplining and disfellowshipping. Uh, the Lord's going to take care of his church. But there will come a time when that happens. We had a conflict over doctrinal issues uh, years ago in the Arizona conference when we were there. And we ended up having to disfellowship, I think it was six or seven individuals. There were some other sympathizers in the issue. It was a pastor that, a young pastor that took issue and went in a different direction. I won't go into further detail. Some of you may already have guessed what I'm talking about. But we tried to be as redemptive as we could in that situation. Now, before we close, we need to deal with another issue, and that has to do with uh, when and how should we ever go to court? And I want you to know that there's some very strong scripture in the first uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Um, because basically the Bible teaches that Christians should not resolve their conflicts within the... They should solve them within the church instead of filing lawsuits against each other. You remember that I, I mentioned a fellow um, years ago that in the church we just came to pastor... When I first visited him, he recited to me all of the civil law, case, law uh, the cases he was suing, or in small, even in small claims court. We're not talking about a lot of uh, money at stake or fault. 
but he seemed to have his mind filled with all of these bitternesses that he had over being either mistreated or not being dealt with honestly. Look at part of the statement in 1 Corinthians, and I believe I have part of it here, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, and actually, the whole passage goes through verse 8, but I'm just going to quote the first part of it. It says, if any of you has a disrepute, or a dispute, dispute, not a disrepute, dispute against another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge civil, trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Remember, it says that judgment will be given to the saints uh, uh, during the millennial period. doesn't mean we're going to say, this one's going to be burned, this one's going to live forever. But we have the oversight of understanding God's justice and God's fairness. There'll be people there that we didn't know why they're there, because last we knew they were real jerks. <laughs> or somebody may look at me and wonder why I'm there, because I have some of my mistakes. Uh, or somebody's not there, and we thought they should have been there. And um, so I think God's going to answer all those questions. Uh, but the question is, why not allow within one-on-one, -on -one, Matthew 18, having two or three trusted and respected individuals, or with a mediator, or uh, asking the church to give some help, the steps that Jesus gave us, let them deal with this issue. Uh, there, there are, I believe, some cases where that may need to go to court because of the civil and property issues that may be involved. I'm not saying that there never could be a justification for asking for the judge to uh, take an action. Um, but I, I want us to notice some questions that we can ask. Uh, and we're going to come back to a little further part of that statement just as we close. But in... Um, these are questions that you can ask before you sue, before you go to court over an issue. Am I sure I cannot over the very first step? Darlis mentioned this a day or so ago. Am I sure I cannot overlook this offense? Uh, is it? Um, and and I, I would I would also mention to you that well I'm not I'm going to save that for the end. Number two, have I sincerely tried to work this out by taking directly? talking directly with the offending party. That's what we've discussed at some length here today. Number three, have I tried to have others in the church help us resolve this dispute? You recognize it's taking the steps that we have followed in Matthew 18. Uh, number four, have I tried to let the church help us solve this dispute? And number five, have I been willing to use the discipline process? That's the, 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 the bottom line, uh, if it is applicable to this dispute. And so those are some questions that you're going to ask. I, I would remind you that there are some negative aspects to litigation that are not in harmony with what God wants in the long... The, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves your worst enemy. I mean, he died to save sinners. Um, and so the negative results of litigation, first of all, it can be a bad witness. Uh, lawyers... Are going to, could be involved and they're going to try to put the, your opponent's position in the most negative light possible. Even in Perry Mason they do that. You know. uh, or they're going to try to make your, it's usually a little bit muddied, but they're going to try to exonerate you as if you were a saint. Or, and each attorney, of course, tries to do the same, so it's a bad witness. Uh, secondly, going to court really ignores the root problem which is often two broken um, sinners that have acted or said or been misunderstood in a way that they've created a tremendous conflict or they have bad information, misinformation. A third negative result of litigation is there ends up being no reconciliation. The bitterness and the anger, the bad relationship, the unforgiven sin, not taking ownership for maybe bad things that they said or did will not likely ever get resolved if you let go to civil court to have them make that decision. There's a, a statement in Acts of the Apostles, page 306, that says, Lawsuits between brethren are a reproach to the cause of truth. Christians who go to law with one another expose the church to the ridicule of her enemies. 
and cause the powers of darkness to triumph. They are wounded. They are wounding Christ afresh and putting him to an open shame. That's a strong statement, isn't it? By ignoring the authority of the church, they show contempt for God who gave to the church its authority. You know, Christ gave the church a certain amount of authority, not that it should be exercised with, with pride and arrogance and demanding. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, we are advised. But there are some cases. Um, occasionally, it may be appropriate to use the civil courts. In fact, were we to take time to read uh, Romans chapter 13, it says we are to respect and submit to the civil authorities. Uh, and they are, did you know that judges and highway patrolmen and elected officials are God's appointed ministers to you? Read what Paul says, and he talks about that. They may not believe in the Sabbath and the sleep of the soul and the soon coming of Christ and so on, but nevertheless, they are uh, God's ministers to us. And so um, you may have exhausted the church remedies that we've talked about, uh, but if you need to assert legitimate rights that are not going to be dealt with otherwise, there might be a time for such a, uh, a case. I know we had a friendly case in court when we had, it was a, um, a lady that was walking to one of our evangelistic meetings in Fresno years ago, and she tripped over the curb. She was a very frail elderly lady. She tripped, fell forward, caught herself on her hands, and it broke both of her arms just below her shoulder. And uh, I talked with the conference attorney because they didn't have really good insurance uh, and, um, and financially were pretty tight. And so there was kind of a friendly case in court, if you please, so that it would trigger the conference umbrella insurance that would give some assistance to helping them during this difficult time. Uh, if you, and if you have a righteous and an unselfish purpose, you can ask these questions, will it glorify God if, uh, if we go to court? Will it benefit others? And is it necessary to preserve essential rights or assets? Um, there is, there may be a time, and I, I'm going to actually go back uh, in, uh, I think I have it back here. Um, where am I going back here? First Corinthians chapter 6. I've, here we go. Oh, it's not on the screen. I just got to read it to you. I'm sorry. I forgot that I did not type that in. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. And then Paul asked this question. Why not rather be wronged? Could you live with that? Um, why not rather be cheated? Remember, what did Jesus say? If they slap you on the one cheek, you turn. If they take your coat, let them have the cloak. If they, you go one mile, go a second mile. Uh, that's, that's kind of a strange thought. Why not, rather than duke it out in court, to simply let yourself be wrong? God's in charge. He's going to take care of you. He's promised to provide for you. And so it's important that we uh, understand that we want to do that which will benefit others and what will glorify God. So we may, at times, choose to suffer loss of an offense rather than pursue resolution through the courts. There is a statement in the Seventh-day Adventist Church Manual, page 157. Uh, it says, I'll just read part of it. While there are in the modern world occasions for seeking decrees of civil courts, Christians should prefer settlement within the authority of the church and should limit the seeking of decrees to cases that are clearly within the jurisdiction of the civil courts and not within the authority of the church or for which the church agrees it has no adequate process for orderly settlement. Such suits before the civil courts should never become vengeful adversary proceedings, but should develop out of a, a desire to seek arbitrary arbitration and to settle differences amicably. So let us close with our whole focus is not lawsuits and the difficulties involved, uh, but we want to be of seeking peace. We want to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, we want to be willing to be kind and loving, to forgive others even as Christ has forgiven us. Um, 
And 1 Corinthians 6, I already read that, I think. Uh, you are already defeated. Why not be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? So we've, you know, this has been kind of a difficult issue today. Maybe we haven't answered all the questions, but I hope you're beginning to get your mind around how God has called you to be a peacemaker. He's called you to be willing to gently confront. confront. Uh, take ownership for as much guilt. You know, I told you the story about the lady uh, years ago that um, I had to deal with because her time expenditure toward a certain young man made it look bad for her and for him. And she was so mad. And I probably didn't deal with it in the very best way, but I remember saying, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I mean, as I look back on it then and now, I think I said to her what I needed to say, but it was truthful for me to say, I'm sorry I hurt you. That was not my intention. And uh, finally, it brought resolution. So we need to follow those steps. It's very important for us to be peacemakers. Well, it's time for us to close. In fact, it's past time, a minute or two. I'm going to ask Darlis to pray for us. We will have, I know some have suggested a variety of ways to get the answers you've missed. I think we have about um, five of these uh, answer sheets. If you missed a couple questions that you want to fill in, they'll be here available. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, it has been a very thought-provoking hour, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. May we understand these principles and then bring them to our heart when we need to use them. Help us, Lord, to hear your Spirit's voice leading us in ways to make better peace among ourselves and those who are in conflict. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.